Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Philippians 2, 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of God. Good afternoon, family of God. Today, my sermon is called Partners in the Gospel. Partners in the Gospel. So we got two key words, two key concepts to talk about. Everybody say partners, and everybody say gospel. These words are important words in the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible with you, I want to ask you to do a little flipping, because I want you to see that this theme of partnership in the gospel is a theme that runs throughout Paul's whole letter to the Philippians, from chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 4. So flip to Philippians chapter 1, and look with me at the, some of the very first verses in this text. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 say this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. You see it? Everybody say partnership. Everybody say the gospel. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So right at the beginning of this letter, Paul said, I thank God every time I remember you. Every time I pray for you, I'm filled with joy because you have partnered with me in the work of the gospel by praying for me. By helping me share the good news of Jesus with people all over the world. By telling your neighbors about Jesus. By contributing financially to the work of the ministry. By our shared heart, our shared love, our shared lives. You have partnered with me in the work of the gospel. And it keeps going all the way to the end. If you flip now to the last chapter, chapter 4, look at verse 15. Paul says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, everybody say gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership. There it is. Everybody say partnership. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So here again, we're talking about gospel partnership and in this case it seems paul especially has in mind financial sharing he wanted to go around and keep telling people about jesus but he needed help he needed partners to support that work financially 
Now, in our text today from chapter 2, the word partner isn't used, but this whole section is about Paul celebrating and upholding two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are great examples of what does it mean to be a healthy gospel partner. And he's holding up their example as a model to us. For example, just look at verse 22. Paul doesn't use the word partnership here, but listen to what he says. You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. So that phrase, he served with me in the gospel, is another way of talking about gospel partnership. Skipping down to verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my beloved, excuse me, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So once again, he's celebrating the partnership, the relationship, the work together that they're doing for the sake of the gospel. Now, as we look at this text today, we see several characteristics of what does it mean to be a healthy gospel partner. But before we dig into some of these details, I just want to step back for a second and talk about why this is so important. I think that sometimes when we're celebrating great Christian role models, when we're celebrating heroes of our faith, there's a danger that we might accidentally celebrate them in a way that would give the false impression that God primarily advances his work in the world through the heroic efforts of super-dedicated individual Christians. And that's not true. If you read the biography, if it's a good biography, if you read a good biography of any great Christian evangelist or pastor or missionary or social reformer, what you will learn is that this individual may have had a deep and beautiful relationship with God that God used to inspire others, but God has never advanced his kingdom in a significant way through the isolated work of individuals. God's always advancing his work through gospel partnerships. As a matter of fact, I think we could say, I'm going to make two, two bold claims right here. The single most powerful force for good in the world is God's grace moving through gospel partnerships. And flip side of that, the single greatest enemy of the fulfillment of God's mission worldwide is when our gospel partnerships are broken down by our sin and immaturity. If you look at a beautiful success story of how God is changing the world and bringing salvation and hope and life and transformation to individuals, families, communities, there's always a beautiful gospel partnership happening, probably a lot of them. If you look at a horror story of what was supposed to be a beautiful expression of the kingdom of God, and then it goes terribly wrong and people are hurt. It's usually gospel partnerships that went bad because they became about something other than the gospel. And sin and immaturity messed them up. To help drive this point home, I'm going to try and set my own record straight because I was thinking about over the last few months, at different times and different sermons, I put pictures of people on the screen to tell stories about my spiritual heroes, but I usually put solo pictures on the screen. So I'm going to set the record straight, assuming technology works. Can we get the first picture on the screen? By the way, hey, look, it, it worked. It's up there. Uh, I got to say to you guys, we, we need to give a big shout out to Jared Stevenson, although this isn't the one I want. Can you put to the, the nuns? We got the nuns. Uh, we we got to give a big shout out to Jared Stevenson, to Devin, to Santos, and Matthew Troiano, because they spent hours learning to work the new technology in here. 
That's gospel partnership behind the scenes. Okay, you see these nuns? Anybody know who they are? Me neither. That's the point. But they work with Mother Teresa. And a few months back, I talked about some of the story of Mother Teresa and about the impact of her life. Now, we could ask ourselves the question, how did Mother Teresa impact millions of lives, the poorest of the poor, with the love of Jesus, so that many people experienced the healing love of Christ through her? Many people became followers of Christ. We could ask, how did she have such a great impact? And we could say a true statement, God's grace was at work powerfully through her words and example. But I think perhaps a truer statement would be, Mother Teresa did not impact millions of lives. A truer statement would be, Mother Teresa was the most visible face within a community of people consisting mostly of anonymous women like those women on the screen that impacted millions of lives. See, these are members of the Missionaries of Charity. And that's the order that Mother Teresa founded. And the reason they helped tens of millions of the poorest of poor around the world is because there was a lot of them. Not just Mother Teresa. She helped by herself many thousands. But they impacted tens of millions. And I don't just mean Mother Teresa was a great pioneering leader and then some people came and followed her. The only reason that Mother Teresa became a recognizable world leader was because of these women. You see, when Mother Teresa first started, she had a call from Christ, go serve the poorest of the poor. But she went by herself with just a few months of training as a nurse and would have had very little impact except that prior to that she had taught at a Christian school in India. And many of the young women whom she taught, God had raised up as indigenous leaders and they came and joined her and followed her and through their support and their leadership, the impact of the movement spread and Mother Teresa's influence spread. It was about gospel partnership. All right, let's put the the one with Bonhoeffer on the screen if we can. So you guys know Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my heroes. I quote him like every week, two or three times. And uh, I love him. He's a great preacher. He's a great theologian. He's a shining example of how do you faithfully follow Jesus, even in the midst of evil and turmoil in the world. And Bonhoeffer had kind of a rugged individualist personality. So we could tell a story about him standing alone in the midst of the evils of Nazi Germany. But here's the truth. Even with Bonhoeffer, the theologian, the rugged individualist, he never would have had the impact for good he did alone. See, standing right next to him is his best friend, Eberhard Betka. And frequently, Bonhoeffer would struggle with depression and become debilitated. But it was the spiritual friendship and encouragement and listening ear of Eberhard Betka that kept him going and encouraged him and inspired him to keep writing. And many of Bonhoeffer's most inspiring works uh, were published long after his death because his friend Eberhard Betka gathered them up and edited them and published them. So this was about gospel partnership. Okay, now let's go to that first picture. Right now, as we've... Uh, We're going through a time of great racial upheaval in which centuries of racial injustice are sort of blowing up in our face in the nation. And we have a tendency to celebrate heroes like Martin Luther King Jr. And we should give thanks to those heroes. But I love the fact in this picture that this is the march on Selma, march to Selma. You have to look really close to find Dr. King. He's kind of to the middle and off to the right. But what I want you to notice is everybody around him. Holding his hand is his wife, Coretta Scott King, a great moral hero, moral backbone for Dr. King, and who continued to expand his message after his untimely death. To Dr. King's right hand on our left is Ralph Abernathy, a fellow pastor in Montgomery. These two guys pastored the middle-class African-American church and the working-class African-American church in Montgomery, and they didn't always get along, but the friendship 
And the gospel partnership of those two men united that community across those economic lines in a way that God used powerfully. In front, three children. Those are Ralph Abernathy's kids. And they're holding the guy of some, the hand of some anonymous white guy. I have no idea who that is. And they're surrounded by a bunch of other people. This is gospel partnership. Once again, I'm not saying Dr. King was a great leader and a bunch of people followed him. To make that point clear, let's put up the last picture here. Some of you know who's in front. All of you know who's in back. That's Dr. King in the back. But who's in front here? Anybody know? That's Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks is most famous for not getting up on the bus. Remember, she wouldn't get up when they told her to move to the back of the bus. But the part of the story that is not always told, although it's told beautifully in Troy Jackson's book, Becoming King. I encourage you to read it. The the part of the story that's not always told is that Dr. King was like 26 when he became the leader of the civil rights movement. And he never would have done that except the fact that he was pastor of a church that had a bunch of 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds who are way more experienced and way more spiritually mature than him, who really, they shaped Dr. King much more than Dr. King subsequently shaped the movement. And one of those people was Rosa Parks. Years before she didn't stand up and go to the back of the bus, she was already a a Christ-centered, Jesus-loving civil rights activist. So what's my point here? All these stories that I have told you... It's just easier to tell the story of one person, but they were all about gospel partnership. Now, you can take the picture down, and and I want to say again something I said a moment ago. Here's the point of all those stories. The single most powerful force for good in the world is God's grace working through gospel partnerships. And the single greatest hindrance to the mission of God advancing in the world is when those partnerships break down because of sin. Now, as we let the significance of that sink into our hearts, my prayer today is, God, would you make us great gospel partners? Would you like in on that? So let's, I want to answer three questions with the remainder of our time. One, what is a gospel partnership? Two, what are the characteristics of a great gospel partner? And then three, how do we become like that? How do we become one of those great gospel partners? So first question, what is a gospel partnership? To put it real Simply, a gospel partnership is a relationship which is created and sustained by Jesus and the gospel of grace, which is marked by deep, loving concern for one another and unified work to bear witness to the gospel in the world. Okay? So let me break down that definition. First of all, the relationship is based on Jesus and the gospel of grace. There's a lot of gospel partnership in this room, and there's a lot of gospel partnership with... Hi, everybody on the internet. I can't see your face today, but you can see me, your gospel partners with us. We got all sorts of gospel partnership all around us right now. And let's just be honest about the fact, if it wasn't for Jesus, most of us wouldn't know each other, and some of us wouldn't like each other. Right? Jesus is what brought us together. It's about Christ. And what can sustain us on the journey is that Jesus is Lord and the gospel of grace united us to God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He bore our sin, our guilt, our death, and rose again from the grave. We trusted him. He adopted us into his family by grace. It was a free gift we didn't earn. And that relationship with God gave us relationship with one another. It's all about grace. So it's a relationship that's based on our common connection to Jesus and our common participation in the gift of grace through Jesus Christ. And the relationship has two characteristics. First of all, 
mutual love for one another. As a matter of fact, the words translated partnership that I read to you a moment ago is this Greek word koinonia, a couple different variations of that, which sometimes gets translated fellowship or sharing. When Paul uses that word, he's talking about a deep mutual relationship in which we share our hearts, we share our lives, we share our burdens, we rejoice with those who rejoice, we weep with those who weep, we pray for each other, we help each other out financially. In every way, we share life together. So deep love for one another, but it's not just about us taking care of each other. It's about us locking arms to then go bear witness to Christ in the world through our words and our deeds. That's a gospel partnership. Now, what are the characteristics of a great gospel partner? In this text, I see a bunch of them, seven to be specific. Let let me give you some of these characteristics And uh, if you're a note taker, you might want to jot these down. In this text, first great characteristic of a great gospel partner is this. They put the interest of Jesus and the welfare of others above their own self-interest. They put the interest of Jesus and the welfare of others before their own self-interest. Look with me again at verses 20 and 21. Excuse me, 21 and 22. Which is the wrong reference. Talking about all the other people. Nope, 20 and 21. Had it right the first time. Okay, here we go. Paul says, For I have no one like him. He's talking about Timothy right here. I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You might underline those words genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul's saying, Timothy is a great gospel partner. He's unique because he really cares about you. He cares about your spiritual flourishing, and he cares about you as a whole person, like God does. By contrast, most other people mostly care about themselves, right? So look what Paul goes on to say. Verse 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Most people, the default of our sin nature is that we're living for ourselves. And some of you may have noticed, when you trusted in Jesus, God forgave your sins, and the Holy Spirit entered inside of you, but you were still struggling with some sin. Anybody testify to that? Anybody struggle with being self-centered this week? Anybody's spouse struggle with being self-centered this week? No, don't raise your hand. No. Your roommate self-centered? We all struggle with self-centeredness. That's why there's conflict in the world. But Paul says, Timothy has experienced the gospel of Jesus in a way that has changed his heart. So when, there's, when it's time to make a decision, when it's time to have a team meeting, when it's time to respond to stressful circumstances in the world, Tim is never thinking, this makes me uncomfortable. Timothy is never thinking, that's not my preference. Timothy's always thinking, how do we get glory to Jesus and how do we bless people? That's what he's thinking. As I thought about that this week, some of y'all came to my mind. I started thinking about Alejandro I don't think Alejandro might be watching on the internet right here. I don't see him in here. Alejandro and I were having a conversation a few weeks back about all the kids in South Oklahoma City who haven't been to school for a long time because of the coronavirus and how that's going to set them back academically. And he was burdened about it, but he didn't stop with being burdened about it. He kept praying and he kept talking to Jared. And he said, I want to not only share the gospel out at this apartment complex, I don't want these kids to get behind on their reading in a way that's going to mess up the future of their lives. 
So let's start a reading club for them. And, and Alejandro took the initiative to go do some fundraising, raise some money, buy some books. And then last week he was out there doing reading club uh, with kids out of this apartment complex. The kids were excited about it. They read the first chapter of, I think it was uh, Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that they read. Jared's confirming in the back. They were excited about it. says, come back next week, Ale. We want to read chapter two with you. Why did he do that? Not because it was convenient. He, he cared about those kids. He cared about their welfare. It made me think of Morgan Curry and how it seems like constantly I'm talking to somebody in the church who was having a bad day and Morgan Curry came and visited them. Somebody who Morgan Curry gave them a ride to a doctor's appointment or to church or something like that. Does she do that because it's convenient? It's not convenient, y'all. She does that because she cares about Christ and she cares about them. I started thinking about Jared Stevenson. Y'all, whenever I get time with Jared throughout this pandemic, we're talking about the same thing that all of us are talking about, which is like, how's your family? How's your soul? I know it's stressful. How you doing? And then Jared's like, and here's somebody I led to Christ this week. Let's pray for him. Because he's been staying connected with people, sharing the gospel with people out in the community. You see, when, when our motivation shifts and we're less self-focused and we're thinking all the time, I'm going to spend forever enjoying God's goodness and a new creation. Now we can be like, it's all about Jesus. It's all about his glory. And it's all about how we bless one another. That makes a great gospel partner. I'm not going to take that long in all seven rows. This is going to be a long sermon. Number two, great gospel partners have familial love and affection for God's people. They have familial love and affection for God's people. Look at how Paul talks about Timothy in verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Paul was Timothy's mentor. But this was a relationship that was about much more than Christian professional skills development. This was like a father-son bond between them. And then later when he talks about Epaphroditus in verse 25, first thing he says before he gets to the other stuff, he says, Epaphroditus, my brother. See, gospel partnership is not just business partnership. When we're doing gospel partnership, we set aside the ledger that's calculating risks and benefits. We set aside the ledger that's talking about profit and loss. It's as if we're family. This is about people. So everybody say, we are family. You know, one of the great ways that the devil breaks down the work of God in the world, he gets us focused on ourselves and he gets focused on what's going to advance my cause, what's going to give me risk, what's going to bring profit and advance my life story, instead of focused on how do I love my team and be focused on Jesus and fulfilling his mission. But gospel partnerships about Jesus, they're about the welfare of those that we're serving, and it's about a relationship of family. There's so many people in our church who do this well all the time. I couldn't help but start by thinking about the Belt family, Jordan and Tina Belt. We sent them to another country where they're doing God's work there. But those of you that were here for those years they were with us, every time you hung out with them, didn't you just feel loved? You just felt like it was family. So welcoming, so joyful. I want to be like the Belts when I grow up. Um, I'm thinking that's about you, Clarks, Rod and Lori. They've only been in our church for a little, how long, a year now? Something like that. And they have people over at their house all the time. It's just family. There's dogs. There's food. It's wonderful. This is family. We're taking care of each other. Gospel partnerships are about more than business transactions. It's about family. We love each other. We bear each other's burdens. But we do need to make this third point, number three here. Great gospel partners work hard in unity with other people. You see, we are family here, but we've got work to do. Great gospel partners 
know how to take care of each other. They also know how to roll up their sleeves and get to business. Man, I'm thankful for this room because I see so many people ready to work hard for the gospel. Our staff, Jared, Chauncey, Gavin, those guys work hard. But I also think how beautiful it is that we're a little bitty baby church with a small number of volunteers. But those volunteers are so committed that the impact is massive. I think about people like Austin Domasek. I love Austin Domasek because you never have to motivate Austin Domasek. It's amazing. If I ever like text him or call him or email him, it's like, hey, there's this thing that needs to be done in the church. It's like 30 seconds later, done. And here's a spreadsheet to show you how to organize it. And he's got a great attitude. He's happy. He's humble. He's joyful. He just wants to do the work of God. That's the kind of people um, who get the job done. We clapped a second ago for the setup team and the sound team and all these people who are doing work behind the scenes to get the job done. And we can not only talk about partnership within our church, but partnership between our churches. I'm going to totally embarrass Sean right now. He was trying to sneak in and sit in the back and worship. And I hate it when I do that at somebody else's service and then they make everybody look at me and stand up. And I'm going to do it to Sean anyway. Sean, would you stand up? Everybody, let's clap for Pastor Sean from Wilmot Place Baptist Church. He, did, he does not feel loved by me doing that, but that's okay. I want to do it anyway. Because here's the deal. We're meeting in this room right now as opposed to me sitting in front of my iPad talking to a screen that you watch on your phone because God put it on his heart not to just seek the self-interest of the church, not of his local church, not just to do what would be most financially viable for their church, but to partner with us in the gospel. And after we had the conversation and said, let's move forward on this, his team jumped into gear and uh, Sean was texting me all the time about stuff that they were doing to get the space ready for us to show love for us. They just rolled up their sleeves and went to work. It's gospel partnership. I could go on and on, friends. Clarence Hill. Y'all know I love Clarence Hill. I got to give Clarence Hill a shout out all the time. If you're wondering, why is our friend Clarence Hill, Christ-centered, godly pastor in Norman, leader of the Stronger Together movement, how does he have so much gospel influence so that in times of racial turmoil, like right now, you could turn on the TV like every night and there's Clarence Hill sitting down with a senator, sitting down with a mayor, sitting down with a governor, sitting down with other pastors, having a conversation not just about racial reconciliation and justice, but about how Jesus is our hope. How did he get that kind of influence? Well, let me tell you, when I'm on the phone with Clarence, he's working 16-hour days every day. That's how. He works hard for the gospel. Gospel partners roll up their sleeves and get to work to accomplish the mission of God. Number four, great gospel partners are willing to fight spiritual battles in unity with other people. I didn't show you where those came from. Verse 25, both of them. They work hard in unity with other people and they fight spiritual battles in other people. Look again at how Paul describes Epaphroditus in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker. That's that one. Everybody say hard work. And then he says fellow soldier. There's another metaphor for their role. They're working together in unity to fight spiritual battles. Here's what I'm trying to say. When you do gospel ministry, not only does it require hard work and sacrifice, it requires intense spiritual warfare. The devil doesn't like it when the kingdom of God advances. If you're doing the work of evangelism, you're doing the work of spiritual warfare. If you're doing the work of personal disciple making, you're doing the work of spiritual warfare. If you're doing mercy and justice ministry to try and take care of people who are hurting in your community, you're dealing with powers and principalities and spiritual forces of evil that are trying to depress and dehumanize people in our community. It's spiritual warfare, which means it's not enough 
for us to be passionate, we have to be godly, God-reliant people. Did you hear that? Let me say it again, especially because we got a lot of young people, and you know what they say about us millennials, we're all passion and no substance. I'm identifying with you. I'm one of those millennials. That's what they say about us, but I thank God I see a lot of that not being true in this room, but let's hear it again. If you want to be fruitful in the work that God has called us to do, it's not enough to be passionate. You've also got to be godly and God-reliant. Did you hear that? I thought about Chauncey when I thought about this one because there have been so many times where Chauncey and I have spent hours together that there's just some demonic stronghold that comes up somewhere. Somebody's going through crisis. Somebody's under attack, and it could be late at night. It could be early in the morning. It could be in the middle of the day. There's some crisis, and we don't know what to do, and we're just on our faces, and it's praying, and it's fasting, and it's going to visit people, having hard times, and we've seen God come through over and over. But the point is, if you're in a spiritual battle... You can give the, the brother a call and he's down. That's what gospel partners are like. Fifth area here. Great gospel partners minister to the spiritual and material needs of others. Now, the spiritual part is probably clear because Paul's talking over and over about preaching the gospel. Timothy helps him preach the gospel. Epaphroditus helps preach the gospel. But when we look at what Paul's saying about Epaphroditus, it becomes clear that gospel ministry isn't just about bearing witness to the gospel with our words. It's also about bearing witness to the gospel with our deeds, by caring for people as whole persons. And look at how Epaphroditus did this to Paul. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Okay, what's Paul talking about here? Here's what he's talking about. Timothy is Paul's protege, whom Paul has mentored and discipled. Epaphroditus is a member of the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi heard that Paul was in jail, and they were praying for him, and they were loving him and caring about him, but they knew that he didn't just need their prayers. He needed their money. He needed food. He needed warm clothes because he was on house arrest in Rome, totally dependent on others. So they sent Epaphroditus, and they gave Epaphroditus money, and Epaphroditus went on a long, treacherous journey and almost died, as Paul's about to tell us, in order to minister to the physical needs of Paul. Great gospel partners have experienced God's grace caring for our whole person to such a degree that we're ready to care for each other's souls and to care for each other's bodies. Ministering to the spiritual needs and the material needs. Number six, great gospel partners are willing to make great personal sacrifices for the work of Christ. They're willing to make great personal sacrifices for the work of Christ. Look at, at verse 27. Talking about Epaphroditus here. Paul says, indeed, he was ill near to death. Epaphroditus almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And then skipping down to verse 30, says again, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here's what I want to say. I'm not going to tell stories about people from our church for this one, because I don't want to talk about people's pain right now in this group and on the Internet without people's permission. But. As I look at the life of Christ Community Church, and if I look at the grace that we have experienced from God, I see confirmation of a principle that the Bible already taught us, which is this. 
gospel ministry always comes with a price. When the kingdom advances, there's always suffering. And when we celebrate all that God has done among us, we need to recognize it came at great cost. And when we dream together about what would it look like to multiply dozens more and hundreds more disciples in our community and to send out more laborers and to do more work to care for our community, those ideas are wonderful, but we need to count the cost. If God's kingdom is going to come, we need to recognize Jesus taught us that the inbreaking of the kingdom always looks like cross and resurrection. We better be willing to suffer. We better be willing to sacrifice. And then finally, number seven, great gospel partners know how to joyfully honor others for their faithful service. I want you to look at verse 29. This is not Paul celebrating the great example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. This is actually Paul telling the church in Philippi, now you be gospel partners by celebrating these men. Look what he says. So receive him, Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. There's something beautiful about the kingdom of God when we get it right. Instead of being competitive, having a culture of competition, we have a culture of encouragement and honor. I feel like 80% of the horrible situations I've heard stories about where a Christian organization blew up and started having big problems could have been solved by everybody in that group doing these seven things, putting Christ first, putting the welfare of others first, and then especially instead of competing with one another and promoting their own agenda, if everybody said, I just want to honor and encourage everybody else. That's what gospel partnership looks like. Now, as I was reflecting upon this and thinking about the power of the gospel, I couldn't help but celebrate in my heart all that God has done because Christ Community Church, friends, was planted like 10 years ago, and we're still a little church. There's like 100 members in Christ Community Church. We're small, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but as I look around this room, you know, it's not. I don't see a lot of millionaires in this room. I don't see a lot of Ivy League PhDs in this room. In other words, you're kind of ordinary, right? Y'all didn't say amen to that? (laughs) And the dude on the stage is definitely not impressive, right? We're just a bunch of ordinary people with a lot of brokenness. And actually, we're not a bunch. We're kind of like a small number of ordinary people with a lot of brokenness and a lot of issues. But I was just reflecting, what has God done over these last 10 years? I've jot down some notes here. I was having a little personal revival with my iPad making these notes. Can I just share with you what I wrote down? Listen to what God has done through Gospel Partnership over the last 10 years. Thousands of people in South Oklahoma City have heard the gospel. That's not an exaggeration. And about 300 have made the decision to commit their lives to Jesus Christ over the last 10 years. 300 people. Think about how eternity is going to be different because of 300 people. There are about 20 laborers through our little church that have been raised up and sent out to bear witness to the gospel in other cities and nations around Oklahoma and around the world. There's now for a decade been ongoing ministry in about a dozen apartment complexes in South Oklahoma City, more occasional ministry and more than that, but consistent ministry in about a dozen where hundreds and hundreds of people have come and anybody who moves through there is going to have access to hearing the gospel. Teachers and volunteers are now serving in public schools and charter schools all across Oklahoma City so that kids have an opportunity to encounter the light of Jesus. Christ Community Health Coalition has shared the healing love of Jesus with hundreds of people. And, Reed, we we haven't given everybody the announcement yet. 
But this is very exciting. I'll let Reed tell the details of the story another time. Y'all remember when a few months ago we were praying for God to provide some finances so that the health coalition could expand and go from being able to serve about five people a week to 100? Well, we were praying, and then we had some fundraisers planned, and then a pandemic happened, and it broke all the fundraisers. So none of them happened. So we had a board meeting in which we were like, God, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. Maybe we just need to push back our plans for a year. But we just felt the Spirit stir us as a board to pray, and we just prayed with the people on those boards. God, would you move some donors? And we prayed about that on Monday night. On Wednesday night, Reed went to talk actually to a donor to ask them if they could recommend. These people had given to us in the past. And to ask them, could you recommend other people who might want to support? And they said, how much do you need? And then a little while later, there's a a crazy, miraculous story in it. But they gave Reed the whole amount, $225,000. So that in October, the clinic's going to expand and be open five days a week, Lord willing. When that happens, guys, the, the ripple effect is going to be, in a pretty short period of time, it could be up to 100 people who are coming through that Hilltop Community Clinic and experiencing the healing love of Jesus and, and hearing the gospel on a regular basis. St. Paul's Community School, glory to God, is having a huge impact in the lives of kids. This is crazy, guys. We're a little bitty baby church. We can't even, like, pay our staff. And we just started a free, not quite free, a sliding scale tuition that gave academically excellent Christ-centered education um, to inner-city kids that can never afford it, can never pay for it. When I say we, I need to clarify, Christ Community Church didn't do it. It was gospel partnership with people all across the city, all across the community. Hundreds of people were influenced through ventures like the Neighbors Conference to look at their neighborhood as a mission field and to begin uh, sharing the gospel in their neighborhood. And all the time, I hear stories of people that came to the Neighbors Conference or came to some of the other big training things that we did like that and tell me, after we went to that event, God's spirit stirred in our hearts from what you guys said. And then we went back and started a ministry in an apartment complex, passed our church, uh, across from our church, and look at all that God has done. We will not know till heaven the ripple effects of that. The Gospel Project has provided discipleship and missional training for over a hundred young adults over that 10-year period. And many of them came here, spent a summer, learned how to read their Bible and pray and share the gospel and make disciples and do justice and love mercy, went back to their neighborhoods and have started ministries all across the country where they came from. Um, Christ-centered conversations about racial reconciliation and justice have happened on college campuses, university campuses, public schools, Christian schools, sitting down or on the phone with senators, with uh, you know, rep, people from the House of Representatives, and there has been significant ripple effects of change that has come from all that. Why am I telling about all these things? What I'm trying to say is we're just a little bitty, unimpressive group of people, but we have a great God. And God did all of that through people in partnership with one another such that you can't point to any person and say they did it. Instead, you just have to point to God, and, and God gets all the glory, but we get the joy of participating. If we want to see more of that, then we've got to keep working on becoming great gospel partners. So for the last moment, before I wrap up here today, here's the last question. Just want you to think about. I was celebrating and honoring lots of beautiful traits of gospel partners that I see in this room and in our church body. And I could go on for hours just celebrating you and God's grace in your life. But I feel like we've probably still got room to grow. Amen. And if you want to grow, if you're asking the question, how do I become a great gospel partner? I just got a two-part, real simple answer for you. Step one for becoming a great gospel partner is just simply 
cultivate the habits of life that are constantly reminding you how much God loves you in Jesus Christ. The number one way to become a great gospel partner is to believe that God loves you in Jesus Christ. So that's why we cultivate the habits. You're doing it right now, hearing the preached word, taking the Lord's Supper. This is why we, in our mentoring relationships, emphasize building daily habits of prayer, daily habits of scripture meditation. Because if we're on our own, we just start thinking selfish thoughts again. But we we read a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit has planted in us the mind of Christ. And we need to cultivate the habits that help us to get back to that place where we remember and we believe and we're transformed by the truth that God loves us in Jesus Christ. And that frees us to love other people. And then second of all, this is real simple. This is real simple. I just gave you seven characteristics of great gospel partners. Pick one and practice it. Just pick one and practice it. I think one of the things that we need to emphasize more in Christian discipleship is it just takes practice. If you see somebody who's really loving, do you know how they became really loving? Because the Holy Spirit helped them for years when they practiced acting loving when they didn't feel like it. See somebody who's a great servant, you know how they became a great servant? The Holy Spirit worked in them because they spent years practicing serving others when they didn't feel like it. I just got to say this word to us right now. I think our culture is confused about authenticity. We care a lot about authenticity, but we often think being authentic means always doing what I feel. Here's the problem, friends. My feelings and your feelings are very often not authentically human. If you want to know what authentic feelings look like, you look at Jesus. He's the prototype for authentic humanity. Okay? So if you want to be authentic, the way to do it is not by following your feelings. The way to do it is by following Jesus. Now, it would be more authentic if we felt what we were supposed to feel. But if you don't feel it, just go ahead and do what Jesus said anyway and ask the Holy Spirit to help you feel it. You hear what I'm saying? So just pick one of these and practice. I'm going to read them one more time before I close us in prayer here. And as I read these slowly, just ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's the one he wants you to start working on right now. Great gospel partners put the interests of Jesus and the welfare of others above their own self-interest. They have familial love and affection for God's people. They work hard in unity with other people. Team players. They are willing to fight spiritual battles in unity with other people. They minister to the spiritual and material needs of others. They are willing to make great personal sacrifices for the work of Christ. And they joyfully honor and celebrate others for their faithful service. Lord, as I read this list now, I'm just so thankful that in Jesus Christ we see the perfect model of all seven of those things. Praise you, Jesus. You are true God and you're the prototype of true humanity. Lord, as I read this list, I also see exposed for myself how much sin and failure and weakness there is in my own life. But I thank you for the gospel of grace that means since I've trusted in Christ, I'm already forgiven. I pray that your Holy Spirit would now give us the grace not only of knowing that we're forgiven for our failures, but of inspiring us. And of moving us to become like Jesus Christ. So that our partnerships, our relationships can be channels of your gracious power in the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.